Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you open Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Yes, we're still in Isaiah. <laughs> there are a lot of... A lot of chapters in Isaiah, but that's good. That's fine. Um, We are in chapter 34. You know, as we've we've been going through Isaiah, Isaiah has shown us, um, he's really shown us ourselves a little bit. As we look at, we think that we think that we're so far detached from the Israelites, from the Judahites of their day, because I mean that was that was a long time ago. But the reality is, is that humans are the same always. We don't really change very much. Now, granted, our society changes, our technology changes, and, and we think that we're different. We don't make the same mistakes that they've made for thousands and thousands of years. But yes, we do make the same mistakes. That they've made for thousands and thousands of years. So we get this clarity of ourselves as we're going through Isaiah. And then we also, we also get, we are also shown by Isaiah that God, in all of this, in all of our lives, God is our most trusted ally. Friends will will depart from us. Either, either they will move someplace and, and we're still friends, or they will betray us. People will disappoint us. It's just the way it is. And we have to realize that. And that's why we're told to forgive, because God knows we're going to be wrong in this life by people. There's no way around it. But he, in the midst of all this, he is always faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. And through our struggles of life, he's our most trusted ally. He has proven himself. Faithful. He promises to be faithful, and then he proves that he is. Now, on the other side, Isaiah has shown us that we have the uh, audacity many times to barely trust God, if we trust God at all. Now, while God is faithful, we're guarded. Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't want to surrender. I don't like to surrender. Why should I surrender to God? What has he done for me? Well, I don't know. Uh, wove you together in your mother's womb. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be here. But I don't believe in him. doesn't matter. He still created you. He still loves you. And he still wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your Lord. He wants you to trust him. But we don't. We're guarded. We have to come to the realization that we must make a decision. Are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for God? It's a choice everyone must make. Now, our ultimate enemy, and many of us will think, well, we, oh yeah, we know the ultimate, that's Satan. No, he is not our ultimate enemy. Enemy, the ultimate enemy is right here. My ultimate enemy is my sin nature. The evil, the, 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 
the sin that is inside of me, that is my ultimate enemy. But see, the, the beauty of God is that he has given us, he has defended us against this enemy that's in me. How did he do that? He, he didn't do it by, he didn't justify us based upon what I deserve, because what I deserve because of that enemy and how I listen to that enemy and I do what that enemy wants is I deserve death. I deserve eternal damnation. I, I deserve to be thrown into the pits of hell. That's what I deserve. People say, well, I don't deserve that. Uh, well, first of all, you're not the one who gets to judge that. Because you're not eternal. You're not all-knowing. You're not all-powerful. You're not God. That's why a lot, of your, a lot of your false religions, what they try to teach you is they try to teach you that you are a little God. That you're a God. No, you're not. You're not God. But he didn't justify us based upon what we deserve. But what he did, he justifies us based upon what Christ deserved. Did Christ sin? No. He had no sin nature. He was perfect. He was God and he was man. And he died on the cross. Why? Did he do anything wrong? No. We know all the accusations against him were false. He was doing what God wanted. And they were supposed to be doing what God wanted. And they didn't. So he had to send Jesus, his son, to come and to pay the price for you and me. We get what Christ deserved, which is salvation and eternal life. You and I, we deserve wrath. We deserve separation from God. But God's grace, in his grace, he, he receives us, he accepts us, he redeems us, he makes us white as snow. All these, if you've been in Sunday school, you know what they say, you know, my, our, my heart was red, it was, and then it was black, and now it's white as snow. I've been forgiven. And it's all been provided by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the great thing about that is, it's not an exclusive club. It's available to everyone. Everyone is welcome to accept it. Freely given to all humanity. He doesn't hide his gift in the small print. He doesn't make you sign a contract and then you read those very small, you know, really small print. Been putting together a shed for my mother, and it came in two different pieces and two different instructions. And on the one instructions, it tells you something very important in very small print that made me have to turn around and actually take the thing apart to fix it. I mean, come on, put it in large print at the top of the instructions. God, God puts it in large print. Man is without excuse. Nature shows the invisible qualities of God. Anybody who searches for God will find them if they search with all their heart. The problem is many people search for God within themselves. Or when they search for God, they don't search with their whole heart. They search for what they can get out of it. He doesn't hide it. God broadcast it. No one will be able to claim that they could not know that God exists, as I said. In Romans 1.20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. <clears throat> and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You know, there's 
uh, in between Switzerland and France, there's this, this, the largest human machine ever created. It's called CERN. And it's a, it's a collider. What they do is they put a particle in there, and they send it at the speed of light, and they get two particles together, and it comes around, and boom, they hit, and, and it's, it, it, it's atomic particles that are split apart. And they tell you, they say, we're trying to figure out how the universe was started. I tell you, I can look outside, and I can tell you the same thing, and it costs a lot less than the world's largest machine. Not to mention, that's not the main reason they're doing that. There are other things behind it. I'm not going to. If you want to know about that, see me or you can actually talk to Mark too. See me later. I'll show you. Well, I'll give you a video link. Just tell you what, show you what they do there. It's interesting. It's not, it's not what you think because we have no reason for that machine because we can see creation out here. God's attributes are plain to us. So God does not hide behind nature either. It's not that he doesn't like create, create everything and say, here you go, I've given you all this stuff. You should know me by that. He says, no. No, it's more than that. It's more than that. God calls us. He speaks to us. And that is what we see in our verses today. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Here's what he says. Draw near, O nations. He's calling the whole world. He says, draw near, O nations. What? Why does he want them to come near to him? To hear and to give attention. Just understand. You notice how, how God said that? Draw near, hear, and give attention. There's a lot of people who hear, but they don't give attention. Okay? It takes both. O peoples, let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. God is calling the nations, all people, all to hear him and his word and to give it, pay attention to it. And see, in this process of God doing this, what is he doing? He is showing grace to his enemies because he doesn't just call believers. God calls all the nations. He doesn't just call a select few. Now, we, we know Paul talks about the fact that God, before the foundations of the world, God chose us. Yes, he does, because he's all-knowing. He sees forward and backwards in time. It doesn't matter. But his desire is for all to come to faith. So he calls all the nations. While, while the world will shake its fist at God and ignore his grace, what does he do? He opens his arms and says, come to me. And they're like, And in this process of calling, he is openly warning us about our future. He doesn't have to. God could simply just destroy all sinners in, like that. He would be justified in doing so. But instead, he graciously calls us and warns us about what is coming. He warns us about what we are going to become if we're not with him. Okay? This is what, we're, what we see in prophecy, what we see in Isaiah, especially in today's verses, is, is not God doing something to man. It's man doing something to man. This is what we become without God and what we deserve without God. And the amazing thing about it, God is extremely patient 
more patient than I would be. He patiently calls. He waits. This world lives in open rebellion against him. Openly. It, I don't know about you, but I remember the day when, when evil would hide. It no longer hides. It is out in the open. The world is in open rebellion against God. Seething with hatred. And yet, what does he do? He patiently calls. Come. This is what's waiting for you if you don't. Come. Second Peter, and Peter says in verse chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. I know. We're that some, because we think God should do things like this. God's patient. He's methodical. He has this all planned out. He knows exactly what needs to happen, when it needs to happen. Perfect timing. You've experienced that in your life. Things you look back. We never experience while it's happening, because we can't see it. But we look back to our life, and we're like, man, wasn't that just perfect timing that that happened? That's God not being slow. He's patient toward you. Thank goodness, because I need God to be patient with me because I'm pretty messed up. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the sad thing about it is that the world will ignore that patience that kindness that God shows that will lead us to repentance. This repentance that's going to lead us out of the future that's installed for this world. If, when the world is let go to do whatever it wants, I mean, sin's already out there. I mean, evil is already out in the open. When it's fully let go, Katie, bar the door. And we know that's going to happen. Because we know the Antichrist is not going to be revealed until the one who, who, with, who holds him back is taken out of the way. Something is holding back evil right now. But that one day that's going to be taken out of the way. And when that's taken out of the way, look out. See, God in his kindness calls us because God's word has the power to save. In Hebrews 412, it says, for the word of God is living and active. It's, it's not a, it, this is not just a bunch of words put together thousands of years and boring and dull. That's one of the interesting things if you uh, were, you know, in Sunday school class for studying Supernatural by Michael Heiser. Michael Heiser is one of these guys, he says, if it's weird, it's important. And if you really look for it, you'll see some pretty weird things in Scripture. And they're interesting when you start studying their context and what's going on. God will surprise you. It's living. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the vision of soul and to spirit. It cuts both ways. A double-edged sword can cut this way and this way. And that's what the Word of God is. Dividing our spirit and our soul to the joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. How we react to God's word will show the intentions of our hearts. So as people in the world will hear God's word and they shake their fists at him and they rebel against him, that's what's in their heart. But when in his, in his kindness draws us to repentance and we fall to our knees saying, 
Lord, forgive me. Have, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need you. That shows our heart. If we would listen with our hearts and believe in his word, we'd be saved. Paul says in Romans, so faith comes from hearing. Remember, God says, come, all you nations, listen. Listen, and pay attention. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why we're doing part of, part of our anniversary. We're doing the go and tell ministries. We need to share the gospel with people. And, and I, I encourage you all to sign up for this. It's, it's, it's going to be it's three hours. Jim is a great speaker. You're hearing him on Sunday morning. He tells a lot of stories because he's had a lot of stories. He's had led a lot of people to Christ. He doesn't use one method. He makes it simple. You know, and, and, and we need to be sharing God's word. We need to be living God's word. So please join us that Saturday. Please sign up for that. But see, in that, God's, in God's word, the word of Christ, the gospel, gives us the good news about redemption and salvation. But it also, God's word, declares that God's wrath is coming. Things are not going to continue as they've always been. We've learned that in the last three years. Things don't always can go, continue the way they are. Things change. Things are going to change drastically. But see, God is looking much at much more than just the last three years. He is looking at all of eternity. He's looking at He's looking at it from the point when he created the garden and he created the world and he created the universe, he created Adam and Eve. He's looking from then all the way through eternity. He sees it all. But within that is one of his creations that decides that he is God and wants to be God and wants to usurp God. He still believes, he still believes that he can become God. And he hates us because God loves us. And he's lying to the world. He lies to them. The end is coming for all those who do not trust in Christ. There's an end. God's wrath will be poured out onto this world. It is certain. Why? Because God's word said it will be. God says something, it happens. There's, there's no turning back from it. It always happens. But the beauty is that you and I, we get to escape this future if we trust in Christ. Faith in the crucified and resurrected Lord has the power to save us from what's coming to this world. But we have to flee to him. God's calling. Come to me. Listen. Pay attention. In our world today, that's extremely important. I think that's one of the problems with our society today. We don't hear and we don't pay attention. We do not pay attention to what happened in the past because remember, those who don't learn about the, from the past are doomed to repeat it. We don't learn from the past. We don't listen to what's going on around us. And we fall for the lies all the time in our lives. Not just in the last three years. It's always been happening. But he lies to us. But God's going to protect us from the coming wrath. 
How can he do this? How does he protect us? Because Jesus Christ is the wrath of God. Understand that. If you read the end of Revelation when it says he comes on the horse, the white horse, with a sharp sword in his mouth, which is the word of God, and he comes and he conquers, and you read the descriptions of what happens, he is the wrath of God. But he's also our Lord and our Savior. It is Jesus who's going to come and he's going to judge the world. So this is the call that's going out to the nations. This is the call that God is giving in Isaiah. God wants everyone to hear, and we are to be part of that. How do do they hear? We go and we tell them. Ah, go tell ministries. Hmm, That's interesting. But we go and we tell. That's how the world will hear. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, when he's standing with his disciples, he gives them the Great Commission, which was for all of us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. If, if you're going to learn how to do it, you've got to hear it and you've got to understand. My kids sometimes hear it, don't always understand it. Guess what? I sometimes hear it. I don't always understand it. I need to do both. Teaching and preserve all that I've commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's the promise. He's always going to be with us. So what does God say? He tells you to come. He tells them to come, listen, understand. He says, this is what he says, For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. Now there's a very interesting part of that. Um, you, you've got to go to... Um, Psalm and Deuteronomy, we're studying this in Supernatural, that God has handed the nations over to the, the sons of God, the, the Menai Elohim, his council, and they don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't lead the people back to Christ, or to, to God. They want to be worshipped themselves. But the nations have fallen for it. We're, we're not, just because, you know, we can't go to God and say, well, you know, well, God the devil made me do it. You know, he, he convinced me. No, we are responsible for ourselves. That's why we must go to Christ, because he resisted the devil. He resisted the lies. And we rest in his holiness and his sanctification. We're we're given that. That's called imputed upon us. But it says, he's he's furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out. And the stench of, oh, this is lovely. The stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away. He's talking about. The fallen, the fallen sons of God, the, the council. And the skies roll up like a scroll. Now we're getting images from Revelation. And their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. You understand, as, as, as we read that, when we look at the words, it's kind of hard to see, but understand, God is a God of passion. He passionately loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... Sometimes ask me about the whole only begotten because that word is not exactly translated correctly. Because Jesus is not created. He's always been. But it's a side note. But understand, in that, God is so passionate about you that he gave Jesus for you. God is a God of passion. And if, if God is a God of passion, we know we, he's got all the emotions. God, in, in his, he, he hates sin so much, it makes him angry. He's enraged. 
This is, this is a concept that many of us are not comfortable with. What do you mean God's mad? My mom always told me I couldn't get mad. She did. I tried not to get mad in front of her, so she wouldn't know I was getting mad. But we're not supposed to get mad, right? We're not supposed to show our anger. How can God love and yet be angry? Is it, is it, is it anger a negative trait? Well, no. No. Anger in itself is not a sin. Understand that. Anger, just, and I'm not, I'm, certain situations, but we'll get to that in a second, but understand the word anger is not a sin. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, this is what he says, he says, be angry, but do not sin. Now, how is that possible? If anger is a sin, then why is he telling us to sin and then but not sin? It doesn't make any sense. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because anger gives Satan a foothold. So husbands and wives, if you get angry during the day, you better get it resolved before the sun goes down. Because it festers. It rots. It rots your very soul. See, the difference between fits of anger that Paul warns the church of Galatians about, if you look in Galatians, and righteous anger, which is what he's talking about in Ephesians and what God has is the focus of the anger. See, righteous anger is focused at what God finds is angry about. Fits of anger that are a sin are the things that I get angry about for me. Selfishness, in my part, creates fits of anger, which is a sin. When Jesus walked into the temple and saw the way the Israelites were treating God's house, he was angry. He turned the tables, he opened the cages, he got together a whip, and he whipped the sellers. That's pretty angry. But it was a righteous anger. Why? Because they were doing something they weren't supposed to do. He says, my, God, my father says his house is supposed to be a house of prayer for who? The nations. And you've made it, made it into a den of thieves. He was angry because God was angry about it. So I have no right to get angry because somebody cuts me off driving down the road. That is unrighteous anger. But when I see a child being abused, I've got to be angry about that. When I think about all the babies who have been aborted, I need to be angry about that. When I see people openly sinning, I need be angry about that. There's a story in the Old Testament. The Israelites are sinning. They're bringing in women from one of the other nations. And Phineas, one of the one of the the, the sons of one of the, the temple priests, he sees a man take a woman into the tent. What does he do in his anger? He goes and he grabs a spear and he spears them both to the ground. It was righteous anger. And at that point, God forgives them because of that. That's the difference. But God is angry at the nations because they have denied him. They've turned away from him. James tells us in James 1, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Hmm, that's the hard one, isn't it? Aren't we like quick to speak and slow to hear? We need to work on reversing those. And he says, slow to 
anger. Again, we can't just fly off the handle every single time we think we've been wronged. But we can be angry because God is wrong. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God is angry when we sin. And we all sin. There are no exceptions. Why? There is not a single nation in this world, in all of history, that has existed solely for God's glory in Jesus Christ. It hasn't. There isn't. Search. I've looked. I've thought about it. There is no nation in this world that has been solely devoted to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Well, what about the Vatican? Oh, yeah. Well, I can tell you stories about the Vatican. It's a man's focused government. See, if, if we're left to ourselves, if God did not get angry about sin, and we're left to ourselves, and if he didn't intervene to save us from his, her, ourselves, the, the anger that brews within each of us, because Satan loves it when we get angry at each other. Because why? Because it divides us. It divides us. And that's been his ultimate goal from the start. He, he tried to divide Adam and Eve from God. He tried, to, he tried to separate everybody. He tries to separate all of us from God. And in the process, he tries to separate all of us from ourselves. That's why I've said from the beginning, this whole, everything we went through in the last four years is insidious because its ultimate goal was to separate us. Stay six feet apart. Stay locked in your homes. Wear a mask. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not judging whether or not these things work or not. That's not the, pro, the, the thing. It's the, what's the purpose, the main, the underlying purpose that we think is maybe good separates. I know people who haven't seen their grandkids because the parents can't take the vaccine and the kids are still afraid that the kids, their kids are going to get COVID. So they won't let the grandparents come unless they get the vaccine. It divides. Whether you think it works or not is a mute point. The point is, how is it being used? It's being used by the evil one to divide us all. But this anger that brews within each of us, this ungrateful self who is never satisfied, if God did not come down and intervene, this twilight of lust that burns within each of us, we would find that we can't stop ourselves anymore. Again, talk to anybody who's dealt with addiction. You'll, 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 if you, they really, if they open their hearts to you, they'll tell you, I, it was, I was not controlling it anymore. It controlled me. The reality is we let it control us, and it takes a, it's a lot, it's difficult to overcome that. But if we don't, if God did not step in, we would not be able to control ourselves. We would become what we are, wretched. So God has to step in. And either, one or two things either happen. He either steps in with his son and redeems us when we realize how broken and how wretched we truly are, or he has to step in with his wrath because if he doesn't deal with the whole sin problem and finish it off, we're going to go right back to where we are. Because remember what I said at the beginning, we're always the same. There's nothing new under the sun. We, are the, we do the same thing. We make the same mistakes over and over. If God doesn't ultimately deal with the sin by eliminating it, and he knew, he knows this, he knew it from the start. 
If he doesn't do that, it's just going to happen again. We need a substitute for our for the wrath of God to be poured out upon. And that substitute was Jesus Christ. But we have to accept him. We, we are, we're given this gift. We have to accept it. If we don't accept it, we get his wrath. Wrath or Jesus. Those are your choices. <clears throat> so Isaiah is given us this very stark picture of God in this chapter. Of his judgment and his wrath that's on the nations. But not just the nations, but their hosts. Like I said, these are the sons of God. The counsel that we read about in scripture. We talk about it in our Sunday school class. This is what it says in Psalm 82. And, and as, as I read this to you, I'll quickly, I think I don't have time, I'll quickly give you a synopsis of what some people say this means. But if you take it from its original context and what the Jews believed, it, this is not men. These are not men God's talking to. He says, I said, you are gods. You are Elohims. Plural. You are gods. Sons of the Most High. Benai Elohim. All of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. This, this part of Psalm 82 is taking place in heaven. Now, some people will say, well, those are men he's talking to. Wait a minute, there are no men in heaven. There's only spirits. These are sons of God. Creation, heavenly beings that God created for his counsel. Numerous places in scripture. So if you want to talk to me about it sometime, I don't have time in this sermon to talk about it. We've talked about it in previous sermons. So I'll talk to you about it. I spent 45 minutes talking to somebody this week about it. But he's talking to these hosts. And in Isaiah, he says, he's mad at the nations and he's mad at their hosts. So as we get into, as we get to verse 5 in uh, Isaiah 34, he turns his attention, all of a sudden we're seeing God's attention being turned towards Edom. I'll explain what Edom is here in this moment. Here's what it says in verse 5. He says, for my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. He's, he's judged, just like it says he's going to in Psalm 82. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. Now, we, we, if you know anything about uh, geography, Edom... These are the Edomites. They're descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, who sold his birthright. And God is using them as a representation for the whole world. Not just the physical nation of Edom. So Edom is representing fallen humanity. Those who hate God, who rebel against him. And if you if you go into Revelation, you read it, you'll see that it's it's no longer just that, oh yeah, I don't believe in God. No, I hate God. It's it's bad. So God is not just punishing this nation of Edom, but all those who refuse to listen to God. All these people he's calling who are refusing, he is going to punish them. He's going to, they're going to get judgment. They're going to get the wrath of God. The wrath of God that Jesus took upon him, if they had just accepted him and followed him and believed in him, they wouldn't have had to go through, won't have to go through this. These people are devoted to destruction. <clears throat> that whole term is, is interesting because when the Israelites were conquering um, the promised land, understand, God, this is that is that is like a foreshadowing of God's judgment upon the world. The, God was judging the people of the promised land. 
He says, because the Can- I mean, he, they, they weren't supposed to go into the land yet because the Canaanite sin had not come to full fullness yet. So the Israelites are going in. They're conquering these nations. And the first place they conquer is Jericho. And God says, do not take anything. Don't take slave. Don't uh, kill all the people, all the children. It sounds terrible, but this is God. God's righteous in his judgment. He knows what he's doing. We don't have, we're, not that, we're not God, so we can't do that. But he did. He says, take all their animals, put it all, to, all their gold and silver. You're to burn it. You're to get rid of it. It's going to be gone. You're not to take it. It's been devoted to destruction. We know that some of them did. One family did take it. And they got judged for it. But God has devoted the rest of the world to destruction. And this will be what happens to those who reject the salvation offered by Christ. And they turn and they hate God. Continuing in verse 6, it says, The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and the young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. Remember, it says that, you know, the... the, (laughs) That all of creation moans waiting for the sons of God, meaning us to be revealed. The children of God basically to be revealed. And we look back, we think about when God is uh, going to Cain and says, where's your brother? And Cain says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And God says, his blood is crying out for me from the ground. This blood, this sacrifice of this devoted to destruction of all these, of all the world, is going to be it's going to be covering creation basically because it is moaning it's been wronged also it's very bloody language here there's this very much a sacrificial feel to these verses see i, I want you to understand the purpose of the old testament of the sac- the animal sacrifice was to teach us this idea this lesson of substitution the animal would die so that the man or woman would not have to. Now, understand, the animal sacrifice was never enough to atone for their sin. Abraham could not kill enough animals to atone for his sin. How did he atone for his sin? What does it say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He wasn't righteous because he killed 5,000 sheep and 10,000 goats. He was righteous because he believed in God. But this, it's, it's, it was to teach them that, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to send someone who's going to fully pay the price, as John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We, we see all this playing out. But the animal was like a, 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 a foreshadowing. It didn't atone, but it was pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died, so we don't have to. The second death. <laughs> but those who choose not to believe in Christ will, will not reap the benefit of Jesus' substitution. And they're going to have to pay the price themselves. It's going to be a terrible slaughter performed by the sword of the wrath of God. In Revelation 14, it says, The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as the horse's bridle. 
or 1600 stadium. That is four foot high, which is about there, for 184 miles. That's a lot. That's a lot. Isaiah says in verse 34, or verse 8 of 34, it says, For the Lord has a day of vengeance. It's the day of the Lord. A year of recompense for the cause of Zion. This is what we see here. We see this idea of the day of the Lord, a day of deferred judgment. Why doesn't God just punish us now, right? Why doesn't he just punish everybody who rejects him? Why? Because he's patient, bearing with us, hoping that we will turn to him. And what we see next is the foretaste of hell. Verse 9. It says, And the streams of Eden shall be turned into pitch, and the soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch night and day. It shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever from the generation to generation. It shall lay waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Sounds a lot like hell to me. A place of unquenched fire, eternal judgment, rising smoke, burning sulfur. All the images we think of when we think of hell. Revelation 14 gives us a picture of what was going to happen. To those who, who accept the mark of the beast, those who do not follow God and, and decide to follow the Antichrist. It says, He will also drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And they, the, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name, here is the call for the endurance of the saints those who keep the commandment of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. God is going to judge man's social order. See, social order is the way our society works, how it works together, maintains the status quo. This would include our institutions, our social relations, our social interactions, our behaviors, our cultural norms, our beliefs, our values. In verse 11 through 15 of Isaiah 34, we see this complete collapse of this order. This is what God says. He says, but the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. He's talking about the land. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He will stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. It's nobles. There is no one there to call it a kingdom. And all its princes shall be nothing. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and, and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals, the abode for ostriches. The wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, there will be night bird settles and finds herself a resting place. There the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, the, the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. See, God, Isaiah is seeing God as a deconstruction worker. He, all of our na- normal things are torn apart, and now nature comes in. God's looking over our societies that we've built, that we've become so proud of. But in reality... All those things do, all that the social order does today is minimizes our dependence upon God. Don't have to worry about it. The government will take care of it. Shouldn't I be dependent on God? Shouldn't I be depending on the church and on what God can do through the people in the church instead of depending on the, on the government? Yeah. The problem is those social organizations, the social order has made us less dependent upon God and more dependent upon man. As I said, no nation exists that its sole, where its sole focus 
is the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Because of this, God's going to tear it down. He's going to bring societies to nothingness. He's going to reverse everything into disorder. All of our structures are going to be deconstructed. For so long, this, quote, distorted order that we have in things is going to be switched to the good order that God created for our lives. And as long, this society has too long disregarded Christ. There's nothing in our world that's going to escape God's judgment unless you're a believer in Christ. God is very precise in his destruction. God will never make peace with human society outside of Christ. That's why Jesus says that he is the only way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So don't hold your breath. Verses 16 17. We'll finish up here. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate, all the animals. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lock for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. Isaiah is looking us straight in the eye, and he's saying, Don't think that God is going to change his mind. There's no plan B. We have to reckon with the finality of God's judgment. We can choose to not live by faith in Christ, but will never, ever evade the consequences of that choice. How do we look at this? I said Christ is the very wrath of God. He's the one who comes and judges the world. On that day, many are going to die, but the real danger is not that death. The real danger is the second death, eternal separation from God in hell that comes at the great white throne judgment. Now, whether we like it or not, that's what God has ordained to happen. It's going to occur. We can deny it. We can ignore it. We can just not accept it. But it's still going to happen. Each one of us is heading in one of two directions, either into judgment or into salvation. Jesus told us in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.